Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. How's everybody doing? About four people's good. How's everybody else? Y'all ready to get in the Word? I tell you what, as the old timers say, I believe if we'd let go this morning, we could have had church. My gosh. Some of you act like you was riding in a Volkswagen. I felt like I was in a Corvette or something. I mean, I felt the Lord. Amen. So uh, let's get right here. If uh, Where we're going to jump back is where we were. Uh, you falling in about third week or fourth week of something we just been digging on. So um, how many knows that uh, sometimes, you, and I ain't got time to go back. If I went back and got it all, we wouldn't. We probably ain't got time to cover what we're going to cover today, so we just got to jump in there and get with it. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, as you go there, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 1, um, and I'm going to pray right quick. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that that's everything that's been accomplished uh, thus so far. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that... Um, just for the word going forth and worship going forth and your presence in this place. And Lord, we just thank you um, just for the opportunity to get in the word and give us revelation and just a clear picture of who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Uh, as you turn in there, I'll tell you this. I thought that I'd say something funny this morning. Um, the, Catherine and I were late. I guess it was about 6 o'clock or <laughs> a little after or whatever, and the dog jumped into bed with us. We got a little uh, Cocker Spaniel named uh, Bo Elvis, and he jumped into bed, and he bad about chewing stuff, and so I had left my glasses. He's already chewed up. Uh, he chewed up some Maui gems and uh, having those that ain't too fun and so I thought he was chewing on uh, her sunglasses or something on the side of the bed and she said John he's chewing something and he's he's buff he's blonde haired color or whatever and so all I seen was the blonde hair right there and I popped the fire out of him I said Bo get out like that when I did a hit Catherine on top of the head <laughs> she said that's me <laughs> so um so anyhow, so if you need to take authority in your house, I can tell you how to do it. Just put a dog in the bed and claim you're hitting the dog. Amen. So let's go right here to Hebrews chapter 3. I mean, Hebrews chapter 1. I must need to preach out of Hebrews chapter 3. I keep quoting it. I want to read you something right quick. And um, uh, I want to read something. I feel like I should uh, read this and then we'll uh, go on. But um, <clears throat> this is written by Bill Johnson. It says, The one thing that concerns me, uh, concerns me most in the day in which we live in is the possibility of another civil war. The reality of that potential conflict is upon us right now. However, it's not a racial, political, or, eco or economic. Neither is it fought between groups with different moral or social agendas. While those tensions obviously exist in society, they have permission to exist because the division that is celebrated in the church. We set the stage. It's tough to get reconciliation in the factions that exist in the world around us when the church itself sponsors the wars of internal of internal conflict with religious delight. We will know we will know our mind is renewed when the impossible looks logical. I'm refer I'm referring to a war within the family of God. It is spiritual. This one is not being fought with guns and bombs. It's being fought with words of accusation, character assassination, and uh, ridicule and slander. The conflict is over the goodness of God. The spirit of accusation is welcomed in many circles as the voice of reason, the voice of discernment. My prayer is that through an arresting revival in the nations, we will see another great awaken that dismantles the tsunami of the demonic that thrives on our self-righteous theology and corresponding division it creates. The church isn't known for handling conflict well. We tend to be, to be the only army in the world that shoots their wounded, especially if they were wounded through their own doing. When there are doctrinal conflicts, there are books written and radio shows broadcasting to expose and shame those attempting to serve God with their best effort to teach truth. Good theology is essential, but theology without love is a loud, clanging symbol, annoying at best. I believe the true discovery of the goodness of God could heal this issue for us all. So I want to look right here in Hebrews chapter 1. I've been unpacking a verse of Scripture for some time, and I'm still on it. I'm still searching this like, just like you are. 
and um, I I want to uh, to read this now this morning. If you got a King James or a New King James, I'm gonna be reading out the Passion Translation, and so it may sound a little different, but it's the same translation of Scripture. It says, "Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by His prophets in many different ways." The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at the time. But building uh, one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. The appointed heir of everything. For through him God created the panorama of all things and at all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature in his mirror image. Now we said this. When we can't find it, any message that you hear, if, it, if we cannot find it in the life of Jesus, in the Gospels, we have reason to question it, right? Now here's the deal. We got, I, I, I want to just go after a lot of things today. I don't want to try to cover as much ground as I can. But one of the things is that, that um, how many knows this, that John 10 and 10, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. That's what he promised to us. He didn't promise destruction. He didn't promise judgment. And, and, and what I was thinking about this morning when we were singing about the love of God, I, I was just reminded of Mike Bickle saying this, that God's judgment is against anything against love. Anything that is trying to mess with love, that's what God is going against, okay? And so, so that now it says that in the, in the, basically what he said in the old covenant, in times past, God spoke through fragments. We have many Christians that are building their lives on a fragmented theology instead of the goodness of God that we see in the life of Jesus. Now let's look at this. Um, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down, so I want and you know that I don't, if you know me a lot, I don't usually write a bunch of stuff. But what you think you know about God and you can't find in the person of Jesus, you have reason to question. What comes into our minds, A.W. Tozer says, when we think about God is the most important thing to us. Listen, a fragment is a small part or broken or separated off of something. So, so the Word of God says in Hebrews, in the times past, He spoke in fragments. How many knows that there's people that quote the Old Testament and think that's New Testament doctrine? The cross changed a lot of stuff. How many believe that? We went into Wednesday night and we talked about that Peter said in the last days when he quoted uh, Joel's prophecy and, and, and he's used it in Acts 2.17 he says in the last days saith God I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy your old men will dream dreams and your, you, and your young men will see visions then he goes on and he says that the, that the sun will be, that the sun will be uh, darkened and the moon shall be turned to blood red and, and through that it says the great and awesome day of the Lord will be released many are still waiting for that to happen I want to propose to you this morning that that's already happened. The sun refused to shine when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Come on, somebody. Because the Father turned away and the, and the moon was turned to blood. That was Jesus. Jesus said he didn't have no light of his own, but he came to bear the light of his Father. And it released the great and awesome day that you and I are living in. Look at your neighbor and say, ain't you glad you are living in the awesome day of the Lord? Now, the reason why we plow so much is where you and I live. We live in the Bible Belt. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 uh, through 27. He speaks of two builders. He speaks of a wise builder and he speaks of an unwise builder. The wise builder built his house on the rock. And it said, when the storms of life came, listen, when the storms came, his house withstood it. But there was an unwise builder there that built his house upon the sand, which is fragments. Come on, somebody. And when the storms came, it says that his house collapsed. Here's one thing that I know to be true. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Good people go through storms. I can't explain it. I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. But I know this, when the bad things happen... Your theology has to be anchored in something, friend. Are you with me now? We are called believers for, one, for a reason, because we believe. If you knew here this morning, I'm, I'm a preacher. Jensen Franklin said it years ago. He said, teachers tell it, but preachers yell it. I yell it, okay? But here's the deal. When the storm comes, when the storm comes, if all I have is a fragment, and that's what I built my house on, and let's just look at this. In the Old Testament, we see God. I mean, they were commanded to drive out nations and kill other nations. Why? Because God didn't want His people contaminated. That's right. 
He said, utterly destroyed. This is, this is your inheritance. But listen, to get it, you're going to have to drive out the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all, all kind of ites. Because I don't want nothing to contaminate what I'm doing. And so if we look at that and we just see, my God, God is an angry God. I mean, he, I mean, he just kills folk. I mean, he's, he, he's upset. And so if, if that's the only view I have of the Father, when bad things begin to happen or unexplainable things begin to happen in my life, the enemy will start bringing, how many knows he's got a voice? Come on, somebody. And he'll start releasing that voice. You're, the reason why you're going through this is God is judging you for what you've done wrong. It's quiet in here. How many people have I counseled and said, is this sickness that I'm in right now as a result of God judging me for what I've done wrong? What I want to tell you this morning, God has already judged you before you ever arrived in the earth. He judged you when you were in Jesus. Come on, friend. And you can't pay for your sins. Jesus has already done that. We still got a lot of church in the South that is trying to pay every day for their sin, walking around like an orphan, not believing that God could ever really pull us in that that type of relationship because of all that we've done wrong. What I want to say, was the blood really that cheap? Is there really power in the blood like I grew up singing out of the red hymnal? There's wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. It can wash the whitest sinner clean. That's what I grew up on. Come on, somebody. But somehow in the church, we've cheapened it now because... Well, you know, God, God forgave you of your sin, John, before you came to know the Lord. But now, I don't know after, after I became a Christian. How many knows after you become a Christian, you still mess up from time to time? First of all, let me establish this. Jesus did not die for your mistakes. He died for your sin. You know what a mistake is? You didn't mean to do it. Let me say this. When you sin, you meant to do it. Well, I fell into sin. I ain't never met a person that fell into sin. Just stumbled and fell into sin. <laughs> it's kind of like this. You sitting at home on Sunday afternoon, Dairy Queen commercial comes on about the cool treats, the blizzard. Hello. Oh, my God. You start seeing the Reese's blended. You feel how hot it is outside? And you start thinking, my God. How, man, that'd be awesome to have one of those blizzards. <laughs> 40 days we coming off on this fast. The 41st day, I'm telling you, I'm going to kill a whole cow in my backyard. <laughs> meeting a whole cow. And four cakes. I'll buy every cake sister could make. <laughs> Listen, what, what happened? I wasn't thinking about no blizzard until I saw it. Then what happens? 30 minutes later, this what, baby, put, get, get your stuff on right there. We fit to go to Dairy Queen. You didn't fall up there and got a blizzard. It started somewhere. Come on. Listen. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. The house has to be, there has to be anchors of theology of thought. Right? We said this on Wednesday night. How many preachers have we heard this in the South? And, and Mr. Billy come up to me at the end and, he, and he, he, he said that he's seen people wounded by this. But we see tragedy happen and we, the church explained it's like, well, God took them. I can't find anywhere except for a few places where God was a body snatcher. That was ain't it? Come on, somebody. Philip got snatched, come on now, and translated somewhere else. But God is not in the business of taking our kids, come on somebody, because he needs something else in heaven. What that is, is because we, we don't know how to explain that. We come up with a theology to try to explain what we don't know. And I want to say this. Listen, there's a lot of things that we're never going to be able to explain. Come on, somebody. And we'll never know the answer to. Maturity is not by how much you know. It's by how much you don't know, but you're still willing to pursue after him. I don't know about you, but the closer I get, the, the more I realize I don't know. All right. So let's look at this. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. 
I have put extensive, not that I don't put extensive study, make a statement like it sound like you don't study, but listen, I put extensive study into what I've been teaching the last um, two or three weeks. Look at this verse of scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Look at this. But be ye transformed. How many would say, preacher, I sure like to transform my life? Here's your key right here. I'm going to tell you how to transform your life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The power of this word is also found, the same words found in Matthew 17, the story of the transfiguration when Jesus goes up into the, into the uh, ascends the mountain and he's transfigured. He's transformed before them. But be ye transformed, look at this, by the renewing of your mind, look at this, that you may prove that, that what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now here's the deal. I've heard that preach that there's a good will, there's a perfect will, and there's an accepted will. I just believe this, there's the will and there ain't the will. You either in the will of God or you're not. Come on somebody. Now he says this, he says that don't be, conf- don't be conned into forming. How many knows that's what the deal is with the culture? The culture tries to conform the church. The church was never meant to be shaped by the culture. The church was meant to shape the culture outside this building. Hello. That's the whole deal about us being leavened hid in a measure of meal till the whole lump became leavened. That's why I say this. Don't pray that God will give you a Christian job. You don't need a Christian job. You need to be about around a bunch of people cussing like a sailor. Why? So you can be the light of the world and be salt and bring a difference there. <laughs> All right. Lord, just give me a Christian job where everybody's nice. No, get out there and be... Be the kingdom, right? Come on. So he said, don't be conned into forming, but now I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. How many knows it takes a transformed mind that we know that to prove what the will of God is? When it comes to healing, how many believe that it is God's will to heal? Raise your hand in this building. All right, now here's the deal. Have we not seen people healed? Have we had to bury people? Raise your hand. I had to bury my own dad at 52 preaching the gospel, okay? In 2006, we buried him. But I sat on his grave and I said this. I said, Dad, I'm sorry that we had to put you down in the earth today. But this is what I'm telling you. I said, Dad, the church is coming to a place. Listen, I believe this, that the church is coming to the place where it will realize that cancer is not the big C, but Christ is the big C. Come on. How can you say that, preacher? Because one church was dealing with uh, polio. Uh, one church was dealing with tuberculosis. But we've got victory over that now. Right, and so we have to have the transformed mind. Now, I've had the privilege, and Junior and others have, of preaching for a while. I've been amazed at how many people will come down and say, if it be the Lord's will, he'll heal me tonight. I can tell you this. There will be no healing with a prayer like that. I mean, I ain't going to go full-blown Dr. Hagen. Now, Dr. Hagen will about slap you if you said something like that. All right? But here's the deal. Faith cannot exist where the will of God is not known. And God is healing us by faith. Come on, somebody. He's not healing you because you came to church. He's not healing you because you gave tithe. Come on, somebody. He's not healing you because you ain't done nothing wrong in the past three days. He's healing you because he already healed you over 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the whipping cross. When he went to the whipping post and to the cross. Listen, we're not looking to get healed. We're looking because we already have been healed. We're waiting for it to manifest in this realm. All right. Remember Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes you are healed. Matthew 8, 17 says, I bore your sickness upon the cross. Now Peter reiterates that in 1 Peter 2, 24. He said, by your stripes we were healed, past tense. Why? Because when Jesus went to the cross, we were in him, friend. Come on, somebody. He didn't just die for me. He died as me. We were healed. So the, the mind has to be transformed that we may prove the will of God. Another translation of this verse of Scripture is that you may approve the will of God. 
Now here's the deal. That I may approve the will of God. So if, I, if I've got to approve the will of God, what is the will of God for my life? Let me just say this. A lot of the church down here in the south, we think if we broke, that's the will of God. Well, you know, Jesus was poor. I beg to differ, friend. How many members when they was fixing to feed 5,000 people when Peter stood up and said, Lord, do you want us to go buy bread enough? He said, what, 200 denario worth of bread. That means he had 200 days wages on him at one time in his billfold. That don't sound like a man struggling. That sounds like a man that can afford a fishing trip. Are you with me? So here's the deal. If you don't, to, to approve the will of God means that we have to study through the life of Jesus because he is the exact representation of the Father. And he is the language of heaven in which God is communicating to us. Come on, somebody. And so here's this. If I don't study that, then I don't know what it looks like. So I don't know how to approve or disprove of the will of God. It Put it like this. If we had this rare painting and Dusty found, he was, he was at a garage sale and he bought this painting of, of a Vincent Van Gogh. And so the Vincent Van Gogh painting had, had um, he, he had to bring it to see if it's authentic or not. Just for someone to approve it. For someone to approve that, they would have to be trained in all of his work. Here's the first thing they would do. Is it congruent, is the picture congruent with the time and the season in which he lived? Is it the type of canvas and the paper that would have been used during that time frame? Is it, is it congruent with the colors in which Van Gogh painted? Come on, somebody. Is it, is it the style of brushing on the paper that Van Gogh would have used? And so all of the integrity on the signature is the person that is trained to see it. And if the person signed off, he just became a wealthy man. Here is the thing. Throughout the four Gospels, Jesus gave us enough to look at. Come on. Through 31 miracles found in the four gospels. Listen. And according to John, if everything which Jesus did, even the books of the world couldn't contain them. So when the Holy Ghost was moving upon man to write it, he recorded 31 of those miracles to give us the brush stroke of heaven so that we would know what to look at to approve the will of God for my life. Gosh. So here's the deal. When the phone call rings and says, brother, I just want you to know the reason why you're going through this sickness is God's trying to get a hold of your family. I know this, that that's not congruent with the brush strokes that I see in the gospel. Come on, somebody. So I don't receive that as the will of God for my life. Am I, I don't have to receive that. Someone says, John, you know what? Uh, This is what I, I, I leaned over and told Junior this morning. You remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, by the way, and Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and says, unless a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, shall a man, shall a man go back to, to a baby state and enter into his mother's womb? I told you one of the reasons I believe Jesus gave Nicodemus that illustration. It said, but listen, if you ever going to walk inside my kingdom, you're going to have to go back to a childlike state and earn, learn everything you've ever thought about me. Challenge me. What do we say, what do we say Harvey meant? Battle iron and fiery something. Next week and this week, there'll be all kind of prophecies released on the internet how God is judging America and he brought that storm upon the shores. I want to ask you something. Is that congruent with what you see in the life of Jesus? I want to ask you, is that congruent with what you see in the life of Jesus? There was a storm about to take his people out in a boat. Come on, remember that when Jesus was asleep and the disciples were afraid, said, my God, he, this man's going to sleep through the whole storm. We're going to all die out here. He's going to die sleeping. Jesus stood up and rebuked the storm, right? Our Father don't do this kind of stuff. I can't explain the reason why that hurricane's upon the shore, but I can tell you what we're to do. We're to pray. Say, God, listen, we're to pray and say, God, have mercy upon our nation. Come on, you believe that? We're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Come on, somebody. 
We're to pray for that. And then we're also to pray that God let the church be the church in Texas. Come on, somebody. Let the church rise up and show the love of God. This is an opportunity right here to show the love of God. How many believe this, that God sent a tornado to rip through out in Cecil and cut through that trailer park and claim the lives of the victims that it claimed? How many believe God was in that? God wasn't nowhere near that, friend. Come on, somebody. But we the church and leaders of the church stand up and say, God, you know, have mercy on us. Don't strike us again. People get upset. But listen, if that listen, if God was if God was doing that, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't sufficient. Let's move on. Plowing a little bit right here. All right. Look at this in John in Luke chapter 16. Go with me here. Luke chapter 16, verse 16 says this. The law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone's pressing into it. Maybe we're not preaching the kingdom. That's why they're not running the doors of the church open. I'll quit with that. I'm going to be nice. (laughs) The law and the prophets were unto John. Right? Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it until John. is a very important part of that verse of Scripture. The law and the prophets were trumped until John. But now there's a greater message on the scene. One has the power of God behind it. The other one has religion on it. One has presence and the other don't. Come on. Until John, the law and the prophets, this is what we took. But now there's a different message on the scene. And this message of the kingdom, now everyone is pressing into it. Come on, somebody. And the strongest rebuke he gave was not to the harlots and the drunkards, but to the preachers. He said, you yourselves won't enter in, but you stand at the door and prevent everybody else from trying to get in. Now here's the thing. This deal, until John... Until John is significant because how many knows this? Throughout the book of Malachi, the last thing God said, he's going to release the spirit of Elijah into the earth, right? How many knows when the spirit of Elijah came under the law, he killed 850 people? Remember when he climbed up on Mount Carmel? Under the law, he was killing 850 people. After the cross, when the spirit of Elijah comes in the earth, he's turning the hearts of fathers to children and the children of father, uh, the children back to the fathers. There's a reconciliation going on. Come on, somebody. So this time, 400 years, we got to go back when Egypt, remember how God sent Joseph to Egypt, right? And he told Abraham, you're going to be there 400 years. It was actually about 430, 430 years. But listen, from Malachi, from he makes that statement, there's 400 years of silence. So the church hadn't heard a message for 400 years. And the law and the prophets were trumped in that 400 years. But now there's a different message. And if we look back at the first time, after 400 years, God sent a message. And the message was in Exodus chapter 12. Apply the blood to the doorpost of your house. I'm coming tonight. I'm coming to set you free. Why? Because I promised Abraham, I'm not going to leave you in this place. Come on. You're going to a land that I promised flowing with milk and honey after 400 years God says I'm about to create a nation of people and bring them into their inheritance why? when John said until John what Jesus is announcing there's another 400 years I'm about to build a whole new nation of people come on somebody and it won't be applied with the blood of a lamb on a doorpost but I'm going inside of them through the blood of a sacrificial lamb named Jesus Christ come on somebody it'll be a holy nation a holy priesthood under God a and a royal identity. My God, that's enough to make a Baptist stand on his feet and shout. My gosh. Christianity is not about a changed life. It's about an exchange life. You You exchange your rags for his riches, friend. You exchange. Gosh. Hello. Oh, my God. Let's look at Hebrews. Have we got time? It's 8.30. It's 11.33. Some churches are already letting out. They're praying the benediction right now, so the chicken's gone. Come on. 
You ain't going to beat them. I've tried. I let us out at 11.45 one day to try. Still didn't get no chicken. So what I found, if you hang out to 1 o'clock, then you can get the chicken. Trying to preach the truth. Last shall be first. <laughs> you ready? Look right here. How many knows this is better than fried chicken? Come on, somebody. My God. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For at the first covenant that had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Look at this. If the fragment would have been good, we could have just built on it and there'd have been no need for the rock to come. I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson either. Come on. Because finding fault with him, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I, dis and I discarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Look at this. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's enough to make a shout. As great as your God is, he can't remember your mistake. The mistake that you remember and you hear, you hear heralding over in your mind is the enemy telling you you're unworthy to possess what this preacher is trying to tell you this morning. How many times have we blown it? Besides, I'll just use my family. We come into church. Kids is acting up, going crazy. We running late. Nobody ever run late. We chew one another out in the car. Say words that's not on Nickelodeon. We get out and come to the house of God. We walk in the front door. How you doing, Pastor? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Boy, we feel the glory this morning. But then after all of that, listen, you know what that is? Because we, we, we just like, we just like Jacob because we, we don't believe our daddy's going to bless us the way we look. So we got to put on Esau's hairy arms. Come on, somebody. And we got to dress ourselves up to make God. How many knows that he sees right through you all the way to the birthday suit? So nothing's hidden before him. So everything, when it comes to this thing like this morning, when we hear this God trying to pursue us, it's, it's foreign to us because we start recollecting through everything we've done wrong. Don't worry, I'm going I'm to deal with that in just a minute. Get, let, let's just get there. So God said, I'm not going to remember their lawless deeds anymore, and I'm, I'm not going to do it. Look at this. And, he's, and that he says, a new covenant he has made, look at this, the first obsolete now what is becoming obsolete, growing old, is ready to vanish away. Now does that mean, now here's, here's another strange thing we've got in church. Well then you don't need, there's this also this movement called the red letter movement. This is all we need to believe is what Jesus wrote. I'm telling you that the whole thing's good. Every bit of it's the word of God. Amen. Are you with me? The old and the new. But here's the thing, and I'm going I'm to give you this this morning. You can't take what was to an old covenant people and bring that in as doctrine for a New, New Testament believer. When it comes to things of judgment, God's about to judge homosexuality. I already judged it, friend. I said he already judged it. Let's think of the church. Well, God, I'm telling you right now, LA is going, Los Angeles, California, breaking off in the ocean. Global warming, that's what's going to happen. The sea level's going to rise up and swallow them up. I'm telling you, under an old covenant, God couldn't destroy a city till he got his people out of it. Come on now. Now, if you see the godly start leaving by the droves out of California, get off the island. But under an old covenant, God couldn't destroy it because of one man. How many knows there's a lot of godliness out in California? And here's the deal. The Bible said, let us prophesy according to our faith. Most people prophesying ain't prophesying out of faith. It don't take no faith to believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But it does take faith to believe that a massive move of God is going to sweep this nation. 
caught. It's becoming obsolete. Four main goals of the Old Testament. All scripture is given to bring inspiration and hope. Any approach to the Bible that does not bring hope is uh, you're reading the wrong thing. Now let me just say this too. We all see in the Bible what we're already prepared to see. How many knows that you speak with accents? I told you this. I was preaching down in Florida one time. Florida, however you want to say it. And it doesn't take long to listen to me to know I was not born in New York or Connecticut. I was born in southeast Georgia. And there was this guy come up and he's like, he was just really just, my gosh, you talk country. That's what he said. And I know that I talk country. We had a lady in the, in the church that I pastored over in Alma. She was from New York. And we had to have a translator. I'm speaking English, but she can't understand the English I'm speaking. So I had to translate it to her. And this guy, he said that. He said, does all people, we was in the, right there at the front in the foyer. I was leaving after we got done ministering. And he said, does everybody from South Georgia speak that country? And he was walking with his wife where he had grabbed his wife's pocketbook on his way out. And I said, yes, sir, a lot of us do. But I said, we don't tote pocketbooks in Southeast Georgia. (laughs) He eased on out the door. So listen, just as we speak with accents, we see with accents. And we see with what we've already been prepared to see. If I was raised Baptist, I'm fixing to see what the Baptist taught me. Come on, church. If I was raised Pentecostal, see, being raised Pentecostal, I thought we could lose our relationship with Jesus. That's why we got saved every week. Every youth camp, we got born again. Catherine was raised Baptist. She was taught she couldn't lose it. It was a gift. We would even get in our pulpits and they believe once saved, always saved. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, once a man tastes, can he fall away? He got to do his first works again. We was doing first works every Sunday night. So here's what I'm saying. If you'll notice in my Bible, and I know this, I got this years ago when I was 19 years old from Rod Parsley. He said this one time. He said, if you got a Bible you can't write in, put it in a glass case and buy you one you can write in. But here's my approach. The reason why I don't write in mine because I never want to open and assume what I know what it means. Because it's a living book according to Hebrews 4.12. This book's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So if it's alive, that means, listen... How many of you ever read, a, you ever read the scriptures, you've read it 400,000 times and then all of a sudden it jumps off the page and slaps you in the head? That's called it's alive. I about want to challenge this even more, but it's on Sunday morning, I don't know if we can bear it. But even as great as this book is, how many knows it's only pointing me to one man called Jesus? And when he shows up, I can lay the book down and just fellowship with him. Come on, somebody. How can you say that? Because the Bible says in John 5, 12, you search the scriptures for them, you think you have eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees and the religious. You burning the pages of that book up, you think you have eternal life, but you wouldn't come to me. I'm the living word, John 1, 14, made flesh and come to dwell among men. Come on, somebody. This book is to point us to him. Throughout the old and the new covenant, it speaks of one called a redeemer. Come on, somebody. Yeshua, Jesus. Come on, somebody. And the... God, I feel the Holy Ghost. So let's go right here. The four main points of the Old Covenant is to reveal reveal the severity of sin. I tell you this, God is not light on sin. Any grace message that is covering sin is no grace at all. Hello. We got to balance this stuff out in the church. Why do you think the enemy is attacking grace? Because it is, listen, it's the foundational truth of the gospel. Moses, the law was given through Moses, John 1, but truth and grace came through the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus came, listen, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. All right? Well, you have, 
Lord, I'm all out here on. I'm, I'm out here with a with a with a butter knife on these limbs right here. One of them's gonna fall in a minute. Listen, you got universalism. Universalism says that all roads lead to heaven. That's an absolute lie. I just came to tell you what, what's in the life of Jesus. Come on, somebody. In the Old Testament, there was a flood coming to the earth to eradicate mankind. Am I right? God promised Noah to build an ark. He told Noah to put one door inside that ark. Come on, somebody. There was one window. It was in the top roof. I know what we hang in the nursery up there. Shows three giraffe heads sticking out the window. That wasn't the ark that Noah built. Come on, why? Because there's one way. It was three levels. John said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, somebody. And and he told Noah, I don't want you to look at the circumstances. Come on now. I don't want you looking out the side of the ark. I want you to look through the top window. You look to me, son. So here's the deal. All roads ain't pointing to the same place. And we got this whole deal because we got to include everybody, you know, because God's a God of love. He is a God of love. Come on, somebody. But he's also a God of justice. And truth. Well, you know that, well, this, that, you know, Allah's gonna make it. All, listen, I'm telling you this, friend, the way to heaven is through the provision which God provided, and that is through Jesus Christ. Hello, can I get an amen in South Georgia on that? Amen. Inclusion. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Don't leave it out. I had about 50 cars right there pulling up to the intersection. They was all changing lanes. I had to wait to identify which one it was. Inclusion. This says, you know what? We were all in Christ when he died on the cross. So you good. You good. Another absolute lie. We cannot base that on the principles of Scripture. Man, I, I didn't know I was going to get into all this. Right in the middle of Psalms 119, there's a verse of Scripture that says the sum of thy word is truth. Why? That is, if you take that verse of Scripture, it's in the dead middle of your Bible. Why? Because that's the balancing beam of all things. The sum of thy word. You can take and dice out anything you want it to mean and try to, try to construct your life to, to support what you want to live in, friend. But here's the deal. The Bible, the Word of God was never written to support your lifestyle. The Word of God was written as instruction to what your life should look like. Can I get bored? I, I figured a few Pentecostal folks would have shouted on that. But I am trying to pull us out of this. That I was raised every, every Sunday. I saw this as a little boy. People would stand up, they would give testimony service, and they would say stuff like this. They would, say, they would give testimony and say, Lord, you know, Pastor, I just help us just hold on to the end. Well, I heard that as a little boy. I'm thinking, my gosh, I mean, if this, this person here, I've seen them shout all over the front of the church. If they can't make it, there ain't no hope for us. They're just praying to hold on. Now, reveal the severity of sin before the Old Testament, expose the absolute hopeless condition of humanity to save itself, to show us our need of a Savior, and points to Jesus as the only possible solution under our lost condition. How many know that Jesus is the answer? Now let's go. I'm going to give you just a little bit more, and then we'll be done, okay? Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, if you're looking for us, right after the book of Numbers. <laughs> Y'all ready? Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Look at this. But before faith came, we were, un we were kept up under a guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. What has come? Jesus come. We're no longer under a tutor. And so here's the deal. Most people say this. Well, if we're going to get people to stop sinning and we're going to get people from start cutting up and going crazy, we have got to preach hellfire and brimstone. And I said it like this. You take my three boys. We'll take the two little ones. If they go up there by the glass building that sits across from the railroad tracks, right there on 37, if they go up there and they walk by, they'll be able to see themselves in the side and, you know, and keep walking. But the next day there's a big neon green sign out there that says, Do not throw a rock at glass. I'm telling you, because number one, I know Asher. Ben. Let's throw a rock at his building. 
and then we better run. It's the same thing with the law. The law was a tutor. Paul even says in the book of Romans that the law brings arousal to sin. All right, now let's look at this right here. The old covenant was a tutor pointing to a better way. Somebody say a better way. The Passover in Exodus 12 where God instructs Moses to put the blood on the doorpost was speaking of a better way. There's coming a Passover lamb. It's speaking of a better way. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament picturing and, 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 and being prophesied of to come. God has a better way. Now let's look at this. In Leviticus chapter 16, there was a scapegoat. And the scapegoat was brought in because once a year you got your sins not dealt with, but put off for another year. How many would like, hate to have to live under that? You got your sins dealt with, but they was only dealt with and put off for one more year. God said, I'm going to put up with you for one more year. And here's the deal. When they, brought the, when they brought the scapegoat, the sins were transferred from the person's family into the goat, and the goat paid the price. I want to tell you the main difference right here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the lamb had to die for the shepherd. In the New Covenant, the shepherd dies for the lamb. My God, that's good. Look at this. In Numbers chapter 21, the children of Israel were, they were complaining against God, murmuring and complaining, and vipers come out and bit them. And then to, to, to get them healed, God instructed Moses. He said, I want, to, I want you to build a brazen serpent out of bronze. And you put him on a pole and you lift that pole before the people. So that if those that have been bitten and stricken, if they look at that on a pole before the people, that will be healed. This is speaking of Christ. Him that knew no sin would become sin for us. And he would be lifted up. And if we would look to that provision, we would be healed. Moses couldn't enter the promised land. Joshua did. Moses represents the law. And Joshua's name means Hashia, salvation. He is a picture of Christ leading us into our inheritance. And I want to say this, the law can get you out of Egypt, but it will never get you into the promises. 1 Samuel 6, 19, the Lord struck the men of Bethshemah uh, uh, because they looked into the ark of the Lord and they viewed the law Apart from the blood. How many knows this? On the Ark of the Covenant. I'm almost done right here. Stay with me. I know we've been going for a while. On the Ark of the Covenant right there, there was on the top was the mercy seat. And it had two cherubims that were made of beaten worship according to what God told uh, uh, Moses. He said, you make that a beaten, uh, beaten uh, work. And so... Um, I said beat and worship. I preached a message on that. But make it a beat and work. So he beat them and their, 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 um, their, their wings were touching like this as a sign of unity. But their eyes were tilted down. And their eyes were tilted down to where the blood sacrifice would go upon the mercy seat. Listen, that's a sign of the church. Our church, listen, we don't, we're not here to fix each other's lives. Come on, somebody. We're here to build a family where we love one another. And love covers a multitude of sin. Are you with me? I hope you're not taking me where I'm not going. I'm not talking about just covering up stupidity. But I am talking about we all realize that we got faults and failures in the family of God. And listen, the enemy loves nothing more for us to expose one another. But their eyes was on the blood. So what happened is these men removed that blood and they looked straight into that law and it brought death. Listen, it... All right. Let's go right here. Maybe I'll get right here. In Matthew 28, 1 through 2, Mary went and arrived to the tomb and find the stone rolled away. God removed through Jesus every obstacle that stood between us. The stone was rolled away. I'm rolling it back so that you can come to me. Now, let's deal. I want to deal with this last thing right here in Romans chapter 6. And then we're leaving right here. Demetri, will you come right here and play that board for me? Look at right here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. So here's the issue you have to deal with. Every time, so that Paul have to deal with this. Anytime we're, we're preaching on the goodness of God, you will always have people come up and say, 
Well, what about people that continue? What about people to sin? What about people to sin? What about people to sin? I really don't want to break that down because here, let me say this. What we're worried about is people drinking beer when we can't call the church when they backbite and sin. <laughs> huh? But I'm going to tell you what, 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 how, how Paul dealt with it. Let's see what the Bible, the Bible interpreted itself if we'll look at it. What shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who, who died to sin live in it any longer? Now, go right here to 1 John chapter 3. Remember when Jesus forgave the lady with the issue of blood? I mean, forgave the lady of being caught in adultery. He told her what? Just go do it again if you want to because grace has paid it. Or he said, go sin no more. Don't do it again. Listen, because repentance doesn't mean just come to this altar and cry. Although godly sorrow does lead us to repentance. But the word repentance means to change the way you think. Let me show you a picture of repentance. It's a woman who gets pregnant. She goes to an abortion clinic. She has an abortion. But she gets educated the next time she gets pregnant. And she realizes that she's carrying the life of God on the inside of her. And she changes the way she thinks of that. What happened is repentance just took place. And I love like people like Todd White who preach the love of God. Friend, I can tell you this. I was an 18-year-old kid so jacked up in many areas of my life. And I met Jesus Christ. My life has not been perfect. But there's nothing in my heart this morning that makes me want to go commit the wildest, craziest sin. But we've got to learn how to deal with this issue as a church to remain family. So instead of this, let me just say this. In the old, in the old days, if a man fell... We would just say this. The only way we could explain it is this. He didn't have it to start with. He didn't have it to start with. Well, he was never born again to start with. How many's ever heard that? Raise your hand. He never had it to start with. I want to propose to you that this. The Bible says with, without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, men will cast off restraint and run wild. But with a vision, they will restrain themselves. People with, a, people with a vision of a great body will restrain themselves. They won't touch sweet tea and chocolate cake. There'll be a rise at 4.30 in the morning to go hit the gym. I just don't have that vision yet. Pray that I get it. I've been holding on to the promise where Paul told Timothy, bodily exercise profit little, but godliness. Hey, that's not a correct view. Come on. Help me right here, guys. There's something popping right here. So we get to John's final work in his epistles at the end of his life. And he makes his statement and he says, let, let's just look at it right here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Did we just read the word right there? It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. You know what that was saying? He said that a man that has been born again will not continue to practice in sin. Now I can tell you this, when I was 18 I had a lot of stuff that was in my life that had gotten a hold of me. And I wish I could say that I had one of them conversions where everything broke off in a moment. But it wasn't like that for me. Some of the stuff broke off as I, as I began to walk with God. Listen, what the church, listen, we got people that's in the, that's in the clutches of sin deep. And we expect them to come to an altar and be what we want to do is clone them into what we are. That's like me trying to tell Asher, I can't, I'm upset with you because you don't understand calculus. He's six years old. 
But I believe this, that when the seed of God comes in you, friend, you are born again in that moment. Not, not listen, all things have become new. There's a brand new creation. Your sin nature and the desire you had to go run wild is broken in that moment. You have no desire to do that anymore. Now here's the deal. There's a picture in Isaiah chapter 54 verse 7. No, that's, that's, uh, I quoted it wrong. That's no weapon formed against you prosper. <laughs> listen. But there's a picture in Isaiah where it says the yoke. Isaiah 10, 27. Thank you, Holy Ghost. How many knows he's the author and finisher of that book? That, that says the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. What's that saying? A picture of that is not, the way I used to view that, is the power of God being released by, you know, the evangelist or the man of God and just boom, it being shattered over your life. What that's a picture of is you bring that, you bring that oxen into the stall and that yoke's around his neck tight like this and he can't break it. But if you continue to feed him in that lockdown state, in that, in that place, if he continues to stay right there, and the more he eats, the fatter he's going to grow. And what will happen is the fatness from that grain that he's eaten will shatter that yoke around his neck. I want to tell you this morning, friend, listen, whatever you're struggling with in your life, I'm telling you right now, there's a promise in the Word of God that will help you, that will feed you, that will shatter everything that's come against your life. I'm telling you this morning, your worst sin, the sin that you repeat, over and over God has never alienated you because of that sin he, he did it in Jesus friend Jesus died for that sin are you with me now he loves you but here's my deal out of my love for God do I make mistakes yes I told you this Jesus didn't die for your mistakes he died for your sin but out of my love for God why do I come home to my wife and kids every night because I love them. I came to church this morning not to preach the gospel. Because I love Him. Stand up with me. He's speaking through the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus healed the blind man and the scripture says that he led him out a distance from that place. Jesus has communicated to us. You know the reason why I believe he did that, friend? It's because you know as a blind man, he'd have been, he, he, I guarantee you this, he had every bit of the place where he was at mapped out with his feet. He knew however many steps it was to the refrigerator. He knew however many steps it was to the bathroom. He knew however many steps it was to his bedroom. And so what Jesus did is he brought him to the unfamiliar place. He said, because what I'm about to do for you will shatter. I want you to have faith to believe right now. So when I release you to walk and release you to see, I want you to have faith to know that this is God doing this. Think about when, when, when Jesus healed the leper. The leper was cast outside the city. He had to yell, unclean, unclean. He had no contact with anybody else. He was totally isolated. But Jesus brought him right in and the scripture says Mark's gospel starts out with that healing and it says and Jesus touched the leper. In the old covenant if you touched the leper you were unclean. Up under grace in the New Testament when you touch a leper they're clean. So what are you saying today preacher? Jesus paid it all so he could have a relationship with you. Under the old covenant, he told Moses, he said, take your shoes off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. You're not even, you can't even wear nothing to stand. You can't even put nothing on to stand in my presence for take them off your feet. Under the new covenant, he placed the sandals on the prodigal son and says, I'll provide the footwear that it costs for you to stand in my presence. I'm telling you today, friend, God loves you. He provided everything you need to get to Him. He gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why would you preach this? I'm trying to preach His goodness. If I get air, if I air in one way when I stand before Him, I want Him to know that, Father, I preached the best I could as a man on the earth saying how much you were in love with this group of people that you put me before. He loves us, friend. He loves us. He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Don't listen to the lie of the devil no more. Listen, you can't pay for your past. He's already paid for it, friend. 
Now I want you to raise your hands like this and we all gonna say this. Say, Jesus, I receive what you did for me. Come into my life and change me. I receive everything you have for me. I denounce every lie of the devil right now. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a born again child of God. I am a son and daughter of the Most High God. In Jesus' mighty name, will you give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. God bless you all. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media. 